There is a supposed claim that in 1863, a book on etiquette authored by one Lady Goff stated that the works by male and female authors be properly separated on the bookshelves. Their proximity, unless they happen to be married, could not be tolerated. Different parts of the United States, as well as other places in the world, have some pretty odd and unique laws that might raise a few eyebrows, or at the very least, leave us scratching our heads or chuckling out loud. Here are a few examples. In Vermont, it's illegal for women to wear false teeth without their husband's approval. In parts of Sweden and in Switzerland, it is illegal to flush the toilet after 10 p.m. In Colorado, one will be fined for having a couch on their front porch. In a town in France that I can't pronounce, it is illegal to die without a pre-purchased burial plot. If your fake mustache makes people laugh, save it for anywhere but church, as it is illegal in Alabama because it causes disruption of worship. And poor Zacchaeus would have found himself with a very hefty fine if he witnessed Jesus passing by way of Ontario, Canada, as tree climbing is prohibited unless you have the proper permit. These are just a handful of ridiculous laws from the four corners of the world. I'm sure that at some point, to some people, they made good sense. But in reality, they are just silly laws that regulate things of little or no importance. In our scripture today, we will hear a similar situation but we'll also see where the law leads to an uncompassionate, sad, and menacing twist. Let us listen to God's word for us today. In our first scripture, Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 through 14. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions <laughs> ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into the synagogue, and a man with a withered hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, 
If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Our second scripture reading is Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Last fall, for six weeks, we met Jesus at a table. A shared meal with people from all walks of life or varying circumstances. Seeing a Pharisee or a scribe at those tables was a common occurrence. Once again, here they are back on the scene in today's scripture, slinging their self-inflated and prescribed laws regarding the Sabbath. These religious men of first century Judaism continually confronted Jesus with roadblocks of reason, while Jesus confronted them with stepping stones of justice and love. But these prominent men of the Hebrew faith were not having it. Why? For starters, the definition of their title explains it in part. Men who separated themselves. They portrayed themselves as better than the rank-and-file folks. Not only did they allow their piety to become a roadblock, but they had allowed their traditions to supersede the understanding and intent of God's law. Their hearts became hardened like stone. These so-called experts of Jewish law determined how God's law ought to be observed. Oddly enough, they also determined how it might be avoided. Listen to these words crafted by the Pharisees enabling them to do work on the Sabbath. To carry a burden is forbidden. He who carries anything, whether it be in his right hand or in his left hand, or in his bosom, or on his shoulder, is guilty. But he who carries anything on the back of his hand, or with his foot, or with his mouth, or with his elbow, or with his ear, or with his hair, or with his money bag turned upside down, or between his money bag and his shirt, or in the fold of his shirt, or in his shoe, or in his sandal, is not guilty, because he does not carry it in the usual way of carrying it. This is the way in which the scribes and Pharisees observed and avoided the law, and they condemned anyone who did not do it their way. All of this was done in the name of religion. 
In today's scripture, Jesus has two run-ins with the Pharisees. The first incident was when the Lord and his disciples were walking through a grain field on the Sabbath. Hungry, his disciples began picking and eating heads of grain, thus being accused by the Pharisees for Sabbath-breaking. Jesus points out that these so-called men of faith were legalistic functionaries, trapped in their own system of countless barren traditions. Instead of fulfilling the law by loving their neighbors as themselves, they attempted to fulfill it through their uncompassionate and lifeless principles. Jesus reaffirms in verses 3 through 8 that the Sabbath was given for God's glory and for man's welfare. It was never intended to, ex in, to restrict the expression of love through deeds of necessity, service to God, or acts of mercy. Departing from the grain field, Jesus and his disciples immediately went to the synagogue and to the very lair, as it were, of the Pharisees who were just questioning him in the fields. It was in their very synagogue that Jesus gave them a living illustration of the true meaning of Sabbath and his authority over both man and the Sabbath. Although what happened in the synagogue was planned by Jesus for the purposes just mentioned, when the Pharisees saw a man with a withered hand there, they, as many times before, thought they had the perfect setup to trap him. Completely unaffected by Jesus' reminder of God's desire for compassion and not sacrifice, they questioned him once again, asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? His illustration of the sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath appears to render the Pharisees at a loss for words. Both the Pharisees and Jesus had their opinion of the right interpretation of the law. The Pharisees claimed higher authority as trained experts in the law, while Jesus tells us he is the law. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. They couldn't both be right, but there they stood, right there in that synagogue, face to face, toe to toe, in sort of a deadlock, until Jesus turns the theoretical into the practical. Jesus turns to the man with the withered hand and said, stretch out your hand. He was instantly restored. Have you ever thought of this? With just these four words, stretch out your hand, Jesus won the debate. All the legalistic nitpicking that spanned generation after generation was kicked to the curb when the Lord of the Sabbath proved that he and he alone had the final authority in all matters of doctrine and practice. The word himself stepped into history and corrected their flawed exegesis 
all arguments were over. The contemporary application of this scripture is both subtle and potentially hard to swallow. And it is this. If we were to meet a Pharisee on the street today, he or she might look a lot like us. Don't we at times want to determine what the rules ought to be? At times, don't we use our individual Christian experience as the yardstick for measuring religious people? Believe it or not, it is possible to have Presbyterian Pharisees or Lutheran or Baptist or Catholic and Methodist Pharisees. It happens whenever people are so convinced that their way is the right way that they dismiss others as being wrong. The point here is not about doctrine. We need doctrine. The point is about tolerance for disagreement. The point <clears throat> is also not about structure. Every church needs structure. The point is about style. How do we care for people that don't fit into our congregation's structure? Love them or ignore them? Dismiss them or do life with them? Jesus clearly demonstrated on the cross that love is more important than rules. Jesus affirmed that people are more important than programs. Compassion is more important than protocol. But Pharisees of all ages at times, whether they mean it or not, disagree. So rather than embrace those that Jesus embraces, Pharisees choose to manipulate the fine print. And it takes our focus away from mission and places it on the trivial. American sociologist and pastor Anthony Campolo once described the greatest criticism he ever received while speaking in a church. Standing before the piously dressed, religious-sounding congregation, Campolo announced, Tonight in West Africa, 6,000 people will die of starvation, and you don't give a shit. The people gasped, but Campolo continued, and right now, you are more concerned about the fact that I said shit in your pulpit than you are about 6,000 people who will die tonight. And I'm not quite sure, but maybe this illustration has affected you in a similar way. The point is, Campolo's hearers didn't get it, and Jesus' hearers didn't get it either. On the contrary, they resented being scolded. Their hearts were hardened, turned to stone, and they responded with ridicule, criticism, and rejection. Do you remember how our story ended? 
Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Once a heart has turned to stone, it is difficult to soften it again. Trusting in the rock of our salvation through humility and confession, he can turn our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh capable of extending love, compassion, and kindness to others. So I encourage you to leave your heart at the foot of the cross and the sin that hardens it on this stony path that Jesus travels to it and let the softening process begin. Amen.